You're listening to the MoneyWeb Now podcast series with Simon Brown. Live streamed every weekday at 6.30 a.m. Good morning. It's Monday the 20th of November. On this day in 1942, one Joe Biden was born in Scranton, Pennsylvania. I'm Nompumela Losiziba, standing in for Simon Brown, coming to you live from the MoneyWeb Global Headquarters in Johannesburg, South Africa. On the show today, Nick Kunze of Sandland Private Wealth gives us his take on the markets. Peter Armitage of Anchor Capital gives us more colour around the fund manager's tie-up with UK-based wealth manager Credo. And Peter Short, co-founder of Fund Manager at Flagship Asset Management, cautions that a so-called soft economic landing is not guaranteed as key headwinds prevail. This show is brought to you by Stanlib. Visit stanlib.com to get in touch with one of their specialists. Stanlib Asset Management is an authorised financial services provider. Your morning headlines in MoneyWeb. Foreigners dump, forced to dump two more JSC blue chips. And in Business Day, SMP holds its rating on South Africa but warns of risks. In your morning markets, the S&P 500 closed up 0.13% on Friday, while the tech-heavy Nasdaq rose a mere 0.08%. Over in the east, markets looking mixed out there, with mainland China down. However, Sydney's up around 0.2%, but Tokyo's flattish down 0.07% at last check. In your commodities, gold is trading at $1,980 an ounce. Brent crude oil trading at $80.52 a barrel. Platinum trading at $898.59 an ounce. Palladium, $1,051 an ounce. The rand's trading at around $1,834 against the US dollar. Bitcoin around $36.468. And uh, we're looking at 10 cent. Uh, that's up nicely today, nicely in the green, up around 3.9%. Top 40 opening call, it's seen in the green, up uh, around 94 points, which translates to just around 0.14%. MoneyWeb now on the money. Also available on podcast. Let's get an overview of the markets now with Nick Kunza, Senior Portfolio Manager at Sanlam Private Wealth. Thanks very much, Nick, for joining us this morning. U.S. markets ended marginally up on Friday, and today Asian markets are trading mixed, while there's an expectation that the local JSC will open in positive territory. What do you see as the key drivers for markets this week? Well, good morning. I think what well, key driver is going to be, obviously, from a local point of view, is going to be our South African Reserve Bank. And they, uh, Mr. Kenyang and his team sit tomorrow. That result is made on Thursday. So interest rates once again, but no change is expected. So that would drive the local bourse. And uh, also, uh, we're going to get guidance from the dollar. The dollar is looks like it's been rolling over, which is, uh, you said in your intro, around now at 18.25. So a little bit of risk on in that market, too. So, you know, fingers crossed we get this infamous Santa Claus rally, because it really has has been quite a quite a tough few months apart from last week back on the JSC. That has been quite dismal. What's going on in the east? We see markets mixed there with mainland China down. Mm. So China kept its key lending rate unchanged again this morning as expected. 
did, uh, but the market, uh, I think they're just looking for more stimulus from, from the world's second biggest economy. Uh, they've, they've came, they have been coming out with a bit of a sort of piecemeal offering, you know, 10 bips here and there. But we really need to see more of an effort to to stimulate the Chinese economy. But but overall, it is, as you said, mixed bag, a little bit directionless. Uh, you know, Wall Street coming off what has been, uh, I think it was the longest weekly streak of gains in over half a year on the NASDAQ. Hmm. So I think there's a little bit of a pause now. So, uh, yeah, just, just trying to find a little bit of direction. But uh, it looks like at the moment a little bit to the green, as you said. So this week's an important one for monetary policy mm. in the South African context. But, of course, internationally, the U.S. Fed minutes will be out. And... And our Saab announces its latest decision on interest rates. Presumably, we can likely expect no change. <clears throat> that would be that would be the the, the the desired outcome for all of us ahead of Christmas. Um, but you know, our our from Reserve Bank they are, have been you know unusually hawkish. But uh, they do obviously, as an emerging market, we take a little bit of guidance from what's happening in, in the bigger economies, and we try sort of be ahead of the curve. So, given what uh, the um, Given what Mr. Powell and the Fed have done and the ECB have done, no change is expected. But I expect the the rhetoric to remain reasonably hawkish at the meeting. Mm. So Sasol appears to be having a tough time with important shareholders like Old Mutual and 91 indicating that they wouldn't support its climate change plan. And then we also heard that its AGM was halted on Friday due to climate activists raiding the room. This seems quite an important <laughs> inflection point for the company, no? Yeah, no, so I don't mean to make light of the situation, but I mean it is a little bit of a soap opera, Cecil. Uh, uh, yeah, it, it's got a fun direction of what it going. What is its future? I guess is is the question mark. You know, Cecil's uh, you know, and for shareholders, has just been hit left, right, and centre. If it wasn't uh, Lake Charles, it was changing sort of board members and now it's sort of green activists. It's, it, it really has had a tough old time. But uh, going forward in the future, you know, it really needs to make, make some changes. It, it's it is the second dirtiest admitter, uh, you know, after after our own ESCOM uh, and unfortunately uh, whatever your thoughts are of climate change uh, it does sort of cut out a large portion of investors a lot of overseas asset managers cannot even buy the share uh, due to its carbon sort of lack of credentials so they've got to make some big decisions to make you know what do they do for their green future and uh, you know certainly putting an AGM in hold does not help that yeah no it does sound like a very tall order for them Nick thanks very much for your time this morning I've been in conversation there with Nick Kunza Senior Portfolio Manager at San Lam private wealth. Hear that? Nothing. Your money can do more when it blocks out the noise, as hard as it is these days. When you invest in the Stanler Balanced Cautious Fund, we manage the risks so that you can see stable inflation beating returns through market cycles. Invest with more certainty at stanlib.com forward slash more. Stanlib is an authorized financial services provider and a registered manager. MoneyWeb now on the money. Late last week, it was revealed that fund manager Anchor Capital and UK-based fund manager Credo had agreed to join forces to steer combined assets under management of around 230 billion rand. I'm joined on the line by Anchor Capital's founder and CEO, Peter Armitage, to tell us more. Thank you so much, Peter, for joining us. So the combined assets under management look eye-wateringly huge when one thinks of Anchor's humble beginnings of managing just 1 billion rand back in 2012. Give us some colour around the time tie up with Credo, what are the dynamics, what will the shareholdings look like, and how might this affect operations? You know, it's, uh, we started about 11, 11 years ago at Anchor, so we've gradually grown to uh, 
about 120 billion rand pre this merger. Uh, Credo adds on about another 110, so it takes us to about 230 billion. So it gives us some really nice critical mass. I think it's increasingly important in the investment world. And, uh, you know, the majority of our business is South African high net worth business, and they're global investment citizens. So having a, um, you know, adding to our global investment team and operating out of a a developed market um, jurisdiction makes a lot of sense. So we're all just very excited. Mm. I think the, from, from a shelling point of view, it's uh, the, the current management of Credo and Anchor will own about 20-25% each. And then there's two institutional shelters or quasi-institutional in the form of Mark Teke and Massimong and uh, Capricorn in South Africa. Yeah. So you've given us a little bit of an overlay, but tell us where are the synergies in this tie-up? Where's the value add? And ultimately, how will this enhance the experience of investors who've entrusted their funds with the two outfits in both the UK and South Africa? Yeah. So I think most importantly for our investors, <clears throat> um, you know, nothing changes in day one. I think there's, there's greater investment depth. That's really kind of the key angle. Um, there's a broader range of investment services in the UK. And, uh, you know, it's a well-established jurisdiction. I think a lot of South Africans are tending, you know, <clears throat> the UK is probably top of the list in terms of where South African money is going. And that was probably the biggest driver for us from our perspective is to to have a home and um, a place where, yeah, there's a 25-year-old business just looking after money in the UK. Yeah. Now, we know that, obviously, you say you've got uh, high net worth individuals that you need to look after and they need a wider universe, um, you know, to, to gain from. But what do moves like this say about investing in the JSC and its potential or lack thereof? Yeah, I think it's, I mean, the, the JSC story is well known. Uh, we're part of emerging markets, and we're a fairly small part of emer- emerging markets now, um, around the 4% level. Uh, and the biggest driver behind the JSC is going to be the, you know, whether emerging markets are in or out of favor. They've been out of favor for quite some years. Mm. Uh, you know, the typical emerging market fund manager gets money in at the top, and he'll, by default, take money in or out of SA. I think the, you know, this doesn't really change where our money is going to go. I think high net worth individuals want to have more than their money diversified globally. Um, first of all, just because it makes good sense. You know, if you're in the JSC and you want a tech company, you've got a choice of one. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we run a team looking at about 150 tech companies globally. So that just makes good sense. It doesn't mean because we do this suddenly a whole lot of money will shift from uh, – the JSC to offshore. I think that sort of shift has probably largely happened already. Yeah. So where do you invest that money? Of course, you've cited tech, but that's not the only thing you'd look at. Where do you invest money right now at a time where interest rates are still high, which has caused a lot of jitters in the markets over the last couple of years? So, you know, we've got an investment team looking at all sorts of asset classes and opportunities globally. Our DNA is equities. You know, we've we've run uh, in Anchor, we've run global equity portfolios from day one, and our global equity funds won various awards along the way. Um, but right now, and in fact, for the first time a few weeks ago, I invested some, in the history of Anchor, I invested some client money into U.S. 10-year government bonds. Hmm. You know, the, for, for the last 10 or 11 years, money was, interest rates were artificially low, and if you put your money in anything interest yielding, the, the yields were close to nothing. Yeah, now you can earn over 5% risk-free in a JP Morgan money market fund. 
Um, so you've got to be pretty sure that equities are going to give you quite a bit more than that mm. um, to shift to that. So we've been quite conservative. Um, there's lots of, you know, and there's lots of nice alternative investments around now because interest rates are so much higher. So you can get kind of a fairly, a fairly safe seven to eight percent return without taking equity risk. Um, but at the base of it, all is equities. That's where you make your long-term money. So one mustn't forget that uh, none of us know exactly when the market's going to go on its next run. Uh, most of the returns from from an equity portfolio come in a six or eight week period in a year. So mm. we're not we don't try and be too clever in being completely in or completely out. Uh, but we you know we've been neutral in equities for quite some time, which is is kind of been the case. It's been bumbling along sideways for the mm. last uh, year or so. Peter, thank you so much for speaking to us this morning and all the very best with the tie-up. That was Peter Armitage. He's the CEO of Anchor Capital. Your money gives a damn. If it could protest and sign petitions, your money would. But your money can do more than that. When you invest in Stanlib's Infrastructure Investment Fund, beyond getting solid returns, you are helping to build a more sustainable future through job creation and positive economic growth. Damn right you are. Invest for more impact at stanlib.com forward slash more. Stanlib Asset Management is an authorized financial services provider. MoneyWeb now on the money. The market narrative these days seems to be that despite experiencing all-time high inflation and interest rates in the past couple of years, the global economy will likely avoid a recession and experience a so-called soft landing. Philip Short, who's a co-fund manager at Flagship Asset Management, is not necessarily convinced of that. Thanks very much, Philip, for joining us. So the U.S. economy keeps on surprising us, growing more than anticipated in each quarter, and inflation has been steadily coming down. Being the largest economy in the world isn't that a good sign of a soft landing after everything that we've gone through with COVID, then the higher inflation and interest rates face? Yes, um, I think uh, you're right. I mean, so quarter three in the US, we had GDP at 4.9%, which is pretty strong. Coincidentally, in 2007, quarter three, we also had GDP at 4.9%. And then we went into a very hard recession and the global financial crisis. So I think that's all backward looking. So I think forward looking, the first thing we must appreciate is that a recession is just a part, natural part of an economic cycle where you have expansion, you can have contraction. And some of the signals that we're seeing at the moment now are pointing to, to a hard landing. T- take us through those signals. Okay, so if we look at uh, one of the major drivers of a hard landing will be a sharp increase in unemployment. If we're looking at the, the this whole year, every monthly report we've had of uh, unemployment data or employment data, it's beginning softer and softer. And we've had the Bureau of Labor Statistics revising those numbers down retrospectively every month. So that's where we're starting to see some weakness. Where we're seeing some definite signs of further weakness is if you look at unemployment data for temporary workers, that's already gone negative. And if you look at employment data for young workers aged between 16 and 19, that unemployment number has gone, uh, is around about 12% at the moment with the general population unemployment number at about 3.9%. Mm. Um, in both those cases, for the young and temporary unemployment um, uh, numbers, they always preempt a general uh, unemployment number surge. Yeah. So while there's uh, an... For, I was going to say, um, uh, I was going to say that while there is an expectation that interest rates are going to stay higher for longer, people are talking about interest rates coming down maybe from March onwards next year but despite that there's still concerns around debt as well 
Yes. Um, so firstly, you know, with so inflation data has been softer and interest rates could or would be coming down next year. But it must be, and if you look historically, every recession we've had uh, rates peaking and then coming down. So even if rates do come down, that doesn't mean anything with regards to to a recession. It could be that the rates need to come down because we have a recession. Mm. And that's probably the thinking there, and that's how it's happened um, historically. How concerned are you around the um, conflicts that we're seeing? The Middle Eastern one, of course, uh, and the Russia-Ukraine war. We know what impact that had on oil price. That's still sort of a, a possible worry, isn't it? It is. Um, but, to, you know, to your uh, earlier point, I think you know, those things can quite easily be resolved overnight. Um, the U.S. Uh, debt position for me, for example, is a, is a, is a much uh, larger worry as the deficit um, that they're currently spending at the moment. I mean, if we just look at, at the implications of that, so we're looking, the U.S. tax receipts every year is about $5 trillion. On interest payments last year, the U.S. spent $400 billion. This year, it's $1 trillion. Next year, it's going to be closer to $2 trillion. So it's going to be by far, you know, it's, it's about 40% of next year's um, budget is going to be on interest alone. On the conflict, we could very well see um, the the U.S. sort of stop supporting Ukraine. And if there's no support from the U.S., there will be some sort of treaty or armistice in, in the Ukraine. And we're starting to see that the Middle East is start, slowly starting to sort itself out as Saudi Arabia and others are looking to China to almost peace break that. Yeah. So those things can change overnight. That's mm. politics for you. But economics is a little bit more fundamental. When did you start getting concerned about U.S. debt? Is that like 33 trillion at the moment? You know, was it a 15 <laughs> trillion? Was it a 16 trillion? I'm losing numbers and I'm losing count. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, the problem is when it's not, yes, the, the, the absolute number on, on the debt burden is one thing. It's when the interest rates started increasing. Mm. That's when you started having, uh, you know, 0% on 50 trillion, you're not paying any interest. Um, 5% uh, interest on 30 trillion, that's a different story. Yeah. So it's the interest rates that have gone up which are now causing a problem. No, I hear you. Philip, thanks, thanks very much uh, for speaking to us uh, this morning. That was Philip Short, who's a co-fund manager at Flagship Asset Management. That's a wrap for today. This show is brought to you by Stanlib. Visit stanlib.com to get in touch with one of their investment specialists. Stanlib Asset Management is an authorised financial services provider. MoneyWeb Now is live every weekday morning on the MoneyWeb website and app at 6.30am and podcast just after 7am. Thanks to the team, Eddie, Musitla and Nicole, to you for listening and our guests for their time. I am Nompumela Losaziba and I've been standing in for Simon Brown. You've been listening to another MoneyWeb Now podcast, posted every weekday at 7 a.m. on moneyweb.co.za. MoneyWeb Now, on the money.